and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. I'm riding solo today without my usual co-host Adam, but have a very special guest coming back to join our show for the third time, researcher of The Hidden and author Michael Feely. Michael, thanks for coming. Yeah, it's a pleasure, thank you. Uh, Nice to be here again. So this is the third time we've spoken. We're completing our holy trinity, you could call it. Previously, we spoke about your background as a policeman and your dealings with everything from the paranormal to extraterrestrials. We had you back on the show to talk about ancient civilizations and ancient Egypt. But today I want to talk to you more about the secret codes hidden within the Bible and the teachings of Christ, which is also something that you've written about extensively. So getting straight into the Bible, then keep it nice and simple. Who wrote the Bible? Okay, who wrote the Bible were mystics such as the Pharisees, the Essenes and a lot of Jewish mystics that understood Egyptian Gnostic knowledge. And what you have, as we covered in you know, Egypt on a previous show, Egypt is really the original Bible. And there's a lot of civilizations that have taken a lot of the, the teachings of illumination of ancient Egypt and they've rewritten it for a different audience. And because each civilization has a different, you know, God names have different things. So they, they took this, this Egyptian Gnostic knowledge and they basically rewrote it for, for their own audience. So what the Bible became was an interpretation of the oracles in stone. So you have the, the Jewish mystics that, that understood. A lot of them were, were mystery school initiates. A lot of the Greek philosophers were mystery school initiates. So Egyptian knowledge also went into Greece. And it went into Jewish mysticism, into the Kabbalah, into the same to the likes of the Pharisees and the Essenes, who were Jewish mystics. And they wrote this book, which eventually was authorised and edited by the Church of Rome. But nevertheless, they put a lot of secret doctrine into this book. But the Bible is not a book. It is really a, a, an initiation manual to, to a large extent. But we'll call it a book for want of a better expression. So you have this, this ancient Egyptian knowledge that was put into stories, metaphors, parables that was there to hide information from those who they didn't want to know, to hide information from those who would harm them for having that information, and thirdly, to speak amongst those who understood what the parables and the, and the codes and the metaphors meant. So you have a, a communication between those who know and it is out of the sight and the hearing, because they don't understand it, of the people who you don't want to know. So the Bible really was this, this, this manuscript, this secret manuscript, to convey a hidden and deep message. Mm. And how it conveyed that deep message was by use of characters, by use of stories, by use of God said this and man did. And Moses walked with the Israelites to Mount Sinai. And Noah built this wooden ark and this Christ walked Nazareth and he had a mother Mary and he had a father Joseph but all these were not real people they are the conveyors of a secret message personified into characters so really in in a simple nutshell is the bible is a work of genius but it is also a secret book 
the book of Genesis, for instance, is not the first book. It's actually the last one, if you read it correctly, from left to left. Because the beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning when you start talking about the circle. So the Genesis, for instance, is actually a book for initiates, for initiation. And when we start getting into the likes of the stories of a camel walking through the eye of a needle, and you can say, logically, that's impossible. You know, I've seen a needle and I've seen a camel. And there's quite a difference in the size. So how can a camel walk through the eye of a needle? But it can when you look at the Hebrew alphabet and when you look at the Jewish mystics, the Essenes, and you look at their initiation process, because in, in the Essenes, the essence is the Essenes, their candidates, their new initiate comes in at level three, which is Gimel, which is a pictogram of a camel. And it ends at level 19, which is Quaff, which is a pictogram of a needle. So when you talk about a camel walking through the eye of a needle, you're talking about the 19 stages of initiation of the Essenes, the Jewish mystics. So a camel can walk through the eye of a needle in those terms. And that is hidden within the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It is really a book for initiates with secret initiation information that is enshrouded and mystified by these stories, that unless you are an initiate or you have looked into initiations like I have, you will not understand what it means. Mm, so there's multi-layers that people can dissect the, the stories, yeah. decode the stories, really. There are really, the, the number seven is, is a really secret mystic number. For one, it is the key to the third dimension. For two, it is the union between heaven and earth, because earth is, is symbolised by the square, which is the number four, and heaven is symbolised by the triangle, which is the number three. So four and three is seven. So seven is a mystical number. You know, you walk seven times around the cube of, of Mecca for a reason, because seven is a significant number. So there are seven levels of teachings that and the first six are basically an introduction to the seventh and final level so when people have said to me you know well i went to a talk last night and, and this speaker is absolutely convinced that he is right or i listened to a podcast or listened to a radio show and this speaker has said he is right and they say to me well what do you say about that and i say well he or she are right but they're not at the level that mm. is, the, is the final depth you know if i was to, to turn around to you and say you know, that the Holy Grail is the womb, then I am correct. But that's only level four. You know, there's three other levels of depth of, of the meaning. So they're not wrong, mm. but they're not entirely right. Yeah. Or not as deep as they can be in terms of the mystical levels. I mean, even to a degree, movies are like that because there's lots of layers that you can enjoy them on. And say like archetypes, like Beauty and the Beast, for example, you'll see that again and again. Like, that's Fifty Shades of Grey. It's the same story, but they've just completely changed the characters and everything else. But underneath it all, it's the same archetypal story. Is that what you're saying with the Bible? Like, if you look at the Bible, it's actually the same as what all the ancients were talking about. Things have just been changed. So Christ would have been this. Mary would rep represents this. Like, Can you talk about that? A little bit pretty much i mean when you look at disney you know disney really is representing the infantile mind of humanity and that is really disney world uh, that's what it's representing and a lot of his stories disney stories also relate to this i mean you have sleeping beauty that was pricked with the fawn and she came back to life well the fawn represents rebirth and the fawn represents a rune of the oracles 
which means the rebirth, which is your crown of thorns. So you have the Christ and Sleeping Beauty connection. You know, when you look at Pinocchio, Pinocchio means pine eye, which is talking about the third eye. You know, we have all of these references. Elsa, she knows on the on the you know the North Mountain. The North is the connection to the voice of the soul. It is where the energy of God comes in through the chimney of Santa Claus into the mind, the gift that we have of knowledge. And the snow is the white matter of the brain. So there's all of these different stories telling us, in essence, the same thing. And what I have found, regardless of any civilization that I have looked at, regardless of any sacred, hidden knowledge that they possessed, when I've looked at certain films, when I've looked at certain children's books, when I've looked at nursery rhymes, I can say without a shadow of doubt, and I can prove it, that every single one of them is talking about the same thing, just in different ways, with different stories, with different characters for a different audience, as I've said. And the one thing that they're all talking about, thyself, how to illuminate, how to liberate the soul. Mm. And that is what they are all talking about in different ways. So you can, you can have multiple angles of saying the same thing. And that is what we have throughout the ancient world, throughout children's stories, Walt Disney, the Kabbalah, the Church of Rome, all of these different things, Egypt, Babylon, Samaria, Christianity, Islam, Sikhism, Hinduism, Judaism, will refer to one thing, you. Do you think sometimes as a species we could even be doing that subconsciously? Like we want to tell ourselves these stories. Sometimes we could just be doing it innocently because deep within us there is a need to tell the tell this story again and again. Well, the, the, there, are, there were always those who wanted to tell you, but they couldn't. Now, you know, when, when you look behind me and you see all of the, the sacred paintings and everything, and you know, the, the Last Supper, Mona Lisa, Da Vinci Code, all, all those kind of things, there were those who wanted to tell us, but they couldn't. But they did, because they encrypted them. And they encrypted them because, for one, it would have been a death sentence to actually speak out loud about the things that have been encrypted in the paintings. Hmm. So how are you going to encode all of your knowledge into various things in order that, you know, the likes of the Vatican spies who would condemn you to death for saying it, don't know, don't understand it. But your knowledge is time capsule in effect to the future in such a time when people would unravel that and decipher it and understand what you meant. Now, if I look at that Last Supper painting and I'm a Pope or I'm a Cardinal or I'm a Bishop of Rome or I'm a Christian or I'm of one of the religions and I look at that Last Supper painting, it's harmless because I see a scriptural fact. I see Christ at the Last Supper with his disciples. There's no harm there. There's no danger to me because I'm complying with the scripture of the day. You know, it is an exoteric painting, but it isn't. But they don't know that. So I am preserved. My life is preserved. And so is my knowledge. So you had, as I say, you had those who wanted to tell you, but they couldn't. But they had to find different ways in which to tell you. And a lot of that, they were forced into becoming a secret society. Now, the ironic thing is I talk a lot about secret societies. Now, the way in which things are happening at the moment where my events are being cancelled because the venues are having pressures put on them to stop the events, I'm having to keep the location, as with other people as well, having to keep the location of my live events secret until a couple of days before the event. Now, the, the irony is, is those who talk about secret societies have now become them because we've been pushed on the ground, which is exactly the same as the likes of Christianity, which was one say secret society. It became too powerful, it became too outspoken, and it became a threat to the authorities of the time. So it was pushed on the ground. 
and people began to use secret symbols and began to say secret words to each other so they could communicate outside of, of the understanding of those who were trying to spy and listen mm. in. So we, we ourselves have now become a secret society because we're having to keep everything secret and go underground. And that really, for me, is, is a perfect definition of irony. So there are still those who want to tell you, but they do it as openly as they possibly can. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's masked. You know, if you want to give a child vegetables and they can't stand the taste of vegetables and you will never get them to eat vegetables, you put it in a blender and you blend it with other flavours. And in the same way, you are still getting the information that at, at the many levels of your bean, but you're not necessarily tasting the sprouts or the broccoli or the parsnips. So that, that is what, what's happening. But is that to say that even someone that doesn't understand this knowledge is still subconsciously going in? When I was at school and it was coming up to exams and you're doing your GCSEs, your O-levels and different things, I remember once a, a teacher gave me some fantastic advice and the rest of the class. He said, if you get there and you open up the exam paper and you look at question one and you don't know the answer, he says, don't fret over it, move on, and at the end, come back to question one. And he says, I guarantee that you will then know the answer. Mm. And he was right. And why was he right? Because as I'm doing the other questions, the subconscious is working out question one. So when things go in, they're being worked at at various levels of you. So you can't unsee what you've seen. You cannot unhear what you've heard. Even though you may dismiss it and it may have a come out in, in, in various emotions of anger, of, of different emotions, deep down that anger is because you know that there is something amiss in your belief systems, in, in what you are saying, in what you are accepting as, as historical fact. Mm. You know deep down at some level that it's not right. And that's causing a conflict that often manifests itself as anger. I was once at an event, and at the end of the event, a lady of Christian faith came up to me and said, you're a bit arrogant, aren't you? So everybody else has been brought upon this lie except for you. And I said, no, I was brought upon the same lie, but I saw through it. And she stormed off. Now, that is because deep down, there is a conflict within her. And, and it's that cognitive dissidence at, at various levels mm. that are manifesting as anger. So when you hear things and things go in, even though they may well be dismissed at, at the physical level, they're going in. Yeah. At depth. I mean, just, just going back to something that you said earlier about the Last Supper. So could you briefly decode that painting for us then? There's a lot to decode. But in essence, you have the likes of the Mary Alvingans, you have the likes of the Knights Templars, you have the likes of the Priory of Sire, which despite some people saying never existed, they did. Now, they had a, a front that they were Christian, that they were followers of Christ. They weren't. The Knights Templars were not the Knights of, of Christ. They were actually followers of John the Baptist, who they saw as the true Messiah, the true Lamb of God. And so did the Merry Alvingians, and so did the likes of Leonardo da Vinci, who painted the Last Supper. So there's many hints in the painting that the official, official Dom story isn't true. Now, a lot of people have looked at the feminine disciple that is next to Christ and said well it's feminine it must be Mary Magdalene and the official story is no it is the Apostle John and that is the official story but it does look feminine when you actually analyze it so who is it referring to the beloved disciple of the Bible but who is the beloved disciple it's two people not one now when you look at the Chaldean manuscript two people are often referred to within one name so John which means Gnostic 
is a code name for both Lazarus and Mary Magdalene. They are both referred to under the code name of John. So when you look at the apostle John, it is referring to two people. Now, which one of the two is it referring to? Well, you have to look at the position of the body or what is happening in the overall picture. Now, because the disciple is moving away from Christ, although if you get a mirror, which is a lot of secrets of da Vinci paintings, you get a mirror and things are obviously opposite. But as you look at it, because the disciple is moving away from Christ, it is referring to Lazarus. If the disciple had been moving towards Christ, it would have been referring to Mary Magdalene. Now, if you get the mirror, Mary Magdalene appears on the opposite side. So Mary Magdalene and Lazarus, who were brother and sister in the Bible, are being referred to under one name, which is the Apostle John. Now, Lazarus is Osiris, the Egyptian god, who is also referenced and represents and related to John the Baptist. So we have John the Baptist, which again is the Knights Templars, the Mary Avignans, and the Pari of Sion and Leonardo da Vinci were actually followers of, not Christ. And you have Orion, which is represented by the head of John the Baptist when the sun goes above the Orion Constellation, that is the head of John the Baptist. So there's a lot of code in there. You, you'll see that there's no wine, there's no broken bread, which is really an essential element of the Last Supper. So what Leonardo is telling you is it didn't happen. The Last Supper didn't happen. Christ is not a person. And that John the Baptist, who you can trace back to Osiris of Egypt, is really who they were really following. So there's a lot of things in there. When you look at the box type thing that is covering the legs of Christ, that is the sarcophagus of the king's chamber. When you look at the back of Christ, that is the back wall of the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. Now, you can't really see it on the, on, the, on the painting, but on the back wall, there is a high of Horus. Now, when you go into the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid, in the same place on the wall, there is also the Eye of Horus. Because Leonardo da Vinci spent time within the Great Pyramid and is reflecting all of these things. And as I say, the current Bible is the Giza Plata. And when you start looking at the likes of the Great Pyramid, the mathematics of the Great Pyramid, in what is known as a digital summation, it encrypts the word Christ, but the word Christ means grain. Now, when you look at the sarcophagus of Osiris, you see that there is grain growing from the sarcophagus because the word Christ means grain. So we have this direct parallel between the Christ and the Osiris, who is really John the Baptist. But this is being played out between John the Baptist and Christ in the Bible, where John the Baptist baptizes Christ. So therefore, he is seen as being in higher stature than the Christ he baptized. The same as Osiris is Orion, is really the god of the underworld. So there's all of these different composite parts mm. inside the Da Vinci painting. Some people say that it reflects the zodiac and the sun through the zodiac, and it does. But again, that is probably entry level of the mysteries. Well, interestingly, the movie Zeitgeist, that's kind of the case that that puts forward, right? Is that actually, if you trace all the major religions of the world back today, it all goes back to sun worship. But like you're saying, is that, well, on a level that's true, but it's deeper than that? On a level it is true. There, there is sun worship because the sun is pi. You know, it is the pi in the sky, really. It is, it is nature, it is the circle. We can see it, it gives us life, it rises, you know, it, it gives us knowledge that overcomes darkness, which is ignorance. Light overcomes the dark, you know, day overcomes the night, etc., etc. 
that is one level of teaching. But there is also sons that are not our sons that are really the source of worship. So when you start looking at the, the, the Masonic Blazing Star, when you look at the star at Bethlehem, when you look at all the obelisks that are around the world, when you look at the shape of the Christmas tree, when you look at the face on planet Mars, the, the face on Mars, bear in mind that Cairo, al Cahira means a place like Mars. When you look at all of these things, they are a star map pointing towards what is known as a solar trinity. And it is three sun-like stars, which is mapped out of the floor plan of the Vatican, uh, Jerusalem. You have all the monuments and monoliths of the Earth, which are really a gigantic star map that are pointing to this particular star system. Now, when you get this inverted triangle of a solar trinity, and you put that over the Sidonian city on Mars, where you get Sol 1, You've got Sol 1, Sol 2, and Sol 3. But where you get Sol 1, which is the main star that they are referring to, it is exactly where the face on Mars is situated. Mm -hmm. And what that is telling us, and what that represents, is that in this place, there is a race of your likeness. Now, these were the origin of the star visitors. And when you look at the pharaohs of Egypt, the pharaohs of Egypt are your Anunnaki. And the composite part of the Anunnaki story relates to Egypt. When you look at Nibiru, we, we tell that it has a 3,600-year orbit. But in Sumerian, 3,600 just means a large circle. So what they're doing, it is the invisible circle of the duet, the underworld of Egypt in the sky. So Nibiru is not a planet. It is an invisible circle in the sky. When you start looking at the original race of Egypt, they were called the Anu, and they walked the Taurus Mountains, or the Taurus, which is Taurus in the sky. Now, when you, start, when you look at the three main pyramids of Giza, and you look at where they're pointing, which is the, the three stars of the Belt of Orion. Hmm. Incidentally, there's actually four stars in the Belt of Orion, but we can only see three. And this was actually given to us on a radar floor plan of Avebury, where Stonehenge's, that they're actually four stars of Orion's belt. But if you look at the three main pyramids, they point up to the three stars that we can see in Orion's belt. You then look to where that is, the, the three stars are pointing, which is towards Taurus. Now, Anunnaki means anak, which means long neck. The word pharaoh comes from the same series of words that mean neck. So you have the pharaohs, anak, Anunnaki. You go up to Orion, the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, where you find this solar trinity. Now, this is marked in Roslyn Chapel by seven doves, which is the Pleiades, Seven Sisters. In the floor plan of all the ancient monuments and monoliths around the world, it's, it's even mentioned Biblically, it, it, it's, it's a gigantic map that has taken us back to our star origins. And this solar trinity are three sun-like stars. So yes, there is solar sun worship, but there's also sun-like worship as well, which doesn't mm. refer to our sun. Yeah, so, so it's a massive simplification, really, to just say, well, it's all based off sun worship from, from the old, because there's, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Well, our sun is really the fourth sun. And there's, there's two times of the year where the solar trinity is really in alignment with the sun and Orion and different things. Now, those two dates, you may recognise, 4th of July, 25th of December. You think that's a coincidence, American Independence Day and Christmas Day, where the Christ star... Now, when you have this star that emanates its light, it gives you the shape of the Christmas tree, it gives you the shape of the obelisk. That is where we get it from. It is the star of Bethlehem that the wise men, the three stars of Orion's belt, followed in order to find 
the Christ, the Christ star. So it is really happening in the heavens. Yeah. Now, when the Pope stands on the balcony and addresses the people, you will see that there are three obelisks and they represent Sol 1, Sol 2, Sol 3. And at certain times of the year, as I say, there is, there is certain sacred alignments and those two times, 4th of July, 25th of December. Wow. And is it right that the real birthday of Christ isn't actually Christmas, it's actually 9-11? It is when you when you look at the astronomy of Virgo and when the sun is actually in the belly of Virgo, which is in the sky, which relates to September the 11th. But the actual character Christ is a metaphor. But the original science is the stars. When you look at what science really is, science just means to know. Gnosticism means to know. So Gnosticism and science shouldn't be enemies, the enemies that they are. But if you imagine that you begin to be a scientist and you look at the celestial narrative the movement of the stars and as a result of that you are able to say that at certain times of the year when when a certain star is in a certain position in the sky certain things will happen on earth now, if i was a pharaoh or a high priest and i went to to the you know the, the people of egypt and i said for argument's sake on july the 4th the waters of the nile will rise and for three months you will have as many crops as you need on, so we say, 31st of August, the waters will decline and there will be barren lands for 12 weeks. And then this will happen on that date and this will happen on that date. And your people see that what you are saying and predicting and prophesizing is true because they can see it. And the exact time that you say that it's going to happen, it happens. Now they turn around and say, well, only God, only gods can know that information. So the pharaohs and the high priests must be gods. And that is really where... A lot of biblical prophecy comes from and a lot of you know, Nostradamus prophecy and, and different prophecies, which is reading the celestial narrative, reading the stars. And people say that we, we're going into the age of Aquarius. Well, we entered the age of Aquarius in 1962. We're already there. So the, these are really the, the end, biblical end times are, are the changing of an age. Biblical judgment day is the end of a procession of the equinox, which is the end of a 25,920 year cycle. That is biblical judgment day. And the biblical end days is the changing of an age. So it all refers to celestial significance. So let's go back to the start of the Bible, because I kind of want to go through the stories that are within the Bible. The creation story, God created the world in seven days. Obviously, science feeds us the story of the Big Bang theory. That's the best that science has. The yeah. Bible offers up something different, but how how do you decode that story and the symbolism within the, the world being created in seven days? First of all, it was six days and the seventh day was rest. So oh, we, yeah. <laughs> we're told that there are six days. Now, if you look at how many hours there are in six days, it is 144 hours. So 144 relates to light. Now, 144 is the harmonic of 144,000. So straight away, we're now getting into the biblical 144,000 story, which relates to the creation. When we look at Genesis, as I say, it is really genetics, genes. And we have this Adam and this Eve. And God says to Adam, because of his sins, that from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. Now, bearing in mind in ancient Hebrew, dust means particles of light. So from particles of light you came, and to particles of light you shall return. 144 light, six days of creation. Adam was created on the sixth day. Now, the Ten Commandments in Catholicism 
the sixth commandment is fornication, which is sex. Now, the word six is the word sex. It is the same word. So you have the sex commandment, which is fornication. Now, the story, and I'll get to the Big Bang in a moment, but the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Noah, the story of Moses, all refer to sex. And the flood, the biblical flood, relates to the misuse of sexual waters, which create the flood. Now, if you work on and purify yourself, then the ark will save you when the flood waters come. Now, the ark is the body. So when we have this sexual, masculine and feminine sexual potency within us, that is the animals two by two that we have to purify. And when we've purified them, the ark will save us. We will get salvation, our own salvation in the ark. Now, when you look at Eve was tempted by the serpent, the tempting serpent is sexual urge because the serpent not only refers to wisdom, but it also refers to the phallic symbol. So Eve was beguiled by the serpent she gave him to the temptation she gave him to the sexual urge. And when she pulled the apple off the tree, that represents the orgasm, the spasm of the animal, which passed to Adam, the brain, who also succumbed to the sexual urge. So when you have this orgasm, when you have this sexual urge, the orgasm is really when you taste the fruit. If you look at the Apple Corporation logo, there is a bite out of the apple. Mm. You have tasted the fruit. You are committing sin, shin, the lustful fire, and you are the victim of the tempting serpent sexual urge. So the offspring of Adam and Eve was Cain and Abel. Now, Cain represents the sensual mind, the lustful mind, and Abel represents the soul. So the soul is killed by the misuse of the sexual force, sexual energies. And that, in, in, a, in a very succinct nutshell, is the story of Adam and Eve. What is the Garden of Eden? It is the body. What is the tree of the garden? The spine and the nervous system. Now, when God came to the Garden of Eden and was amidst the tree, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, is what moves the leaves. When you see a tree moving, it is the breath of God. It is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is inside the body, inside Eden. And when God turned around and said to Adam, where have you gone? What that is saying is the fire, the shin, the lust, the passion has been used as part of the sexual urge. So God couldn't find Adam in the garden because it has been misused, that the energy has been misused. And that is really what the story of Adam and Eve is talking about. He's talking about the misuse of sex. Now, again, that moves into the Noah story because the flood is sexual waters that we misuse. That goes into what are the, 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 the three sons of Noah? Well, they are the pre, three, three primary forces of creation, which in Hebrew is Aleph, Mem, Nun, A-M-N, Amen. All of, the, all of these stories, you know, when you look at Venus, the power of Venus enters the body as a sexual energy at puberty. Now, when you see the Pope wearing shells on his robe, it relates to Venus because the goddess Venus was born in a shell. But a shell is also an empty vessel. And when you misuse this sexual energy, you enter the world of shells, the abyss, the cloth, hell, the upside down St. Peter, the ninth sphere, sex, which is replicated by this monstrosity of a sphere within a sphere at the Vatican. That is the forge of Vulcan. And Vulcan is the god of fire. Now, when you see Mr. Spock of Star Trek, who is a Vulcan, he gives you a secret Kabbalah symbol which is shin, sin, the lust for fire, the Vulcan, 
So he even steps into Hollywood and into movies. Now, going to the Big Bang, you can't get something from nothing. So nothing doesn't exist. There has always been something. So what is that something? There has always been a universe called the dimensionless universe. Now, that dimensionless universe is the universe of light and the mental plane, thought. Now, before you create anything, you think about it. So we have this universe that God did not create. The universe creates God. God is the final evolution of the universe. So you have this universe that created another universe with inside it. And both of them are in simultaneous existence, which is dark matter, dark space, and the parts of space that you can see. So this dimensionless universe expanded, which became the dimensional universe, which is what science is describing as the Big Bang. Because when the dimensionless expands, it becomes dimensional. When the dimensional shrinks, it becomes dimensionless. Hmm. But both of these dimensions live in, in simultaneous existence. Now, there is something that is essential to this creation that we have in every galaxy. It is called a black hole. A black hole is the transformation between the dimensional and the dimensionless, or the dimensionless and the dimensional. When they are changing from one to the other, it is the black hole. That is what a black hole is. Even though science doesn't know yet, that's what it is. So the Big Bang is the creation of the material universe, matter, from an already existing dimensionless universe. And that is the Big Bang. Now, when you go back to light, there are beams of light that can travel between the two universes. But physicality can only stop in the universe of matter. Now, there's a division between the two universes. And that division is called Horos which is where we get the likes of the word Horus scope. It is the scope of Horus, or where we get the Egyptian god Horus, Hours, horizon, because you have the dimensionless universe that has no time, and you have the material universe that has time as part of its fabric of creation. Horus means hours, as in the clock. So when you enter the dimensional universe, you are entering into time. And the reason that we have to have time, time is a force that enables us to have an individual existence in a specific area of space and time. Without time, we couldn't do that. There would be no individualization. Everything would be one singularity. So that is a black hole. That is how the universe is created. That is Horus. And that is the universe of matter. Now, the universe of matter, the Lord of matter, is known as Satan. So Satan is the Lord of matter. So anything that relates to the material is the realm of Satan. And when you start getting into, I want more, more possessions, more money, more of this, then you are entering into satanic consciousness because it is the material realm. So a lot of it has been misinterpreted in terms of the, the six days of creation, which relates to 144, which relates to light, which relates to the dimensionless universe and the dimensionless universe from within the universe of matter was created, and that's the Big Bang. So, so say, just to stay on the black holes for a second, because I'm quite interested in this stuff, and I'm sure you've probably seen the movie Interstellar, for example, where he goes into the black hole. So what do you think would happen if you travelled, if, if you were able to, into a black hole? Because it would just be dimensionless, the other side, you, you would just, you wouldn't exist. Like, what, what would we find there, do you think? When you look at what a soul is a soul is an basically an orb of light so your soul body is light so your soul 
could quite easily go into the dimensionless universe. Mm. She can quite easily go into the material universe because it is a beam of light. And light beams, such as the angelic realm, can go in between the two. It is only physicality that can't go into the dimensionless universe. So the soul, as I say, being light, can travel between the two. The soul is really where the, the power and the force of God incarnates and, and rests in the body. So your soul is really what is known as the Ark of the Covenant, because it's where, where the power of God exists and resides within the physical vessel. Now, God is also light. So we are made in the image of day, the image of God, because our original blueprint is the soul, which is pure light. And God, which is the maximum potential of the universe, is light. Now, what we have is the universe trying to evolve to its maximum potential, which is God. And we have the individual parts of that consciousness, i.e. ourselves, that are trying to evolve to our maximum potential, which is the God-like state. Hmm. Now, when you have God and the God-like state, then they can quite happily interact because they are on an equilibrium, a level playing field. But what is happening with humanity is the parts have become greater than the sum of the whole, and everybody knows, I'm okay, Jack, screw the rest. But as a consequence of that, the universe can never become God because it can never fully evolve because there are, you know, there are certain aspects of creation that are preventing it from evolving. It's like if we were all now, you know, there's 10 of us and we've all got ropes and we're all pulling this big truck towards the finish line and we're all pushing and pulling in the same direction, we will all get to the finish line. But if you have equally, you know, 10 people behind the truck pulling it in the opposite direction, then you're going to have difficulty getting there. And what humanity and Earth and, and no doubt other races of beings in the universe are doing is they are preventing the optimum, maximum potential of the universe by the way in which it is acting. So God is just as reliant upon humanity as humanity is upon God, because there cannot be a God unless the universe evolves to its maximum potential. And the, the law of the evolution states that simpler forms must be replaced by more complex forms during this course of evolution. So if humanity doesn't get its act together and it continues to stop the, the universe from evolving, it will be replaced. Mm. Because well, otherwise, you can never reach the godlike state because it's been prevented from doing so. And the, the, only, the only thing that is greater than the maximum potential of the universe, God, is a community of gods. But we could then go into the multiverses and, 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 and community of gods, which is the maximum potential of each of the universes. Well, it's, it's interesting when you're talking about how the material world is represented by saturn and and satan because if you look at our world now it's it's become more and more materialistic and if you look at the stuff that's being pushed by mainstream culture it's a lot of what you were just talking about it's not only materialism but it's also pretty low vibrational lustful kind of stuff all aimed at the young i mean i was even thinking then of madonna we know people like madonna have flirted with like illuminati symbolism and satanic imagery but then i i for the first time, I was just thinking of her song, I'm a material girl in a material world, and thinking, yes. wow, even that is satanic in yes. its consciousness. But all of these things that are being pushed on us, I mean, say the fact, for example, porn is free on the internet, it's a click of a button away, hmm. and you know, maybe people would be less likely to click on porn if they thought that, what is the real consequence of something like that? You were talking about there, like you're giving your life energy away and stuff like that. It's like, in a sense, like a people 
almost like not that they could trade their soul, but what 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 are they trading for these sinful kind of behaviors? What what they're doing is that they're, they're they are preventing their Christ from resurrecting within them, and it is the Christ that is the liberation of their soul, and it is the liberation of the soul that is the ascension. So when you have a society really that as you quite rightly said, you know, every time you switch on the TV or, or pop videos or anything else, it is all sex, lust, advertisements, which really means to entice adversity into the mind. Greed. You, you, you know, you have all of these, look at me, family bloodlines, the old world order. There's no merit in anything. If you're part of this family, you'll be elevated to the top. There's no fairness. Everything is really a materialistic, satanic consciousness. And that is preventing humanity from ever rising and ascended. And yes, Madonna is, is a perfect example. You know, a material girl in a material world, a world of Satan. Yes, you have the likes of Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is basically a code for a, a goddess of the underworld, a female goddess of the underworld, because Gaga is another word for Pluto, who is god of the underworld. So Lady Gaga is a goddess of the underworld. So we have all of these... And I thought she was named after that Queen song. <laughs> Radio well, Gaga. Well, that's the official story, of course, but there's always a quite a difference between officialdom and, and what's real. So we, we have basically a, a manipulated culture that stops us from expanding. And if you stop people from expanding, they will never reach their maximum potential, which is their godlike state. And by wasting the seed, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. In other words, thou shalt not waste the seed. By wasting it, you are pretty much stopping yourself from ever reaching this godlike state and that and that is the consequence of for one not realizing it and for two acting with degeneration acting with sin which is the fire of lust mm. yeah and it's definitely not just me getting older it has got worse on all fronts you know yes. if you compare the likes of madonna back in the day that seems nothing compared to i don't know cardi b Nicki minaj these sorts of people and the stuff they're putting out and it, and you you can look at anything violent movies or uh, computer games or music you know it's, it's all been turned up to the most extreme levels and when you were mentioning earlier as well like the uh apple phone got got one here the iphone with um, the symbol of the bitten apple, you know, people are more and more addicted to technology these days. And that has become just as much of an addiction as anything else. Is that part of this satanic consciousness, do you think? You see, again, when, when you look at the Bible and it, and it says, thou shalt not kill, you will look at that and think, okay, so you, you, can't, you shouldn't murder someone. That's what it means. Yeah, of course, that's true, but there's also an underlying theme. It's saying thou shalt not kill your spirit. Now, addictions kill your spirit. Now, whether that's alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, technology, sex, lust, it kills your spirit. That is why the deep esoteric meaning of Muslims not drinking or smoking is that thou shalt not kill their spirit. Well, alcohol is called spirits. Yes, it is. And the black eyeliner that Egyptians wear is alcohol, which gives us the word alcohol. So things in moderation are not an addiction, but things to excess become addictive. And when it becomes addictive, it becomes the death of the spirit. So it is important to really have some kind of self-control. And, and it's not saying don't have these things, don't enjoy these things, no, don't, don't do the things that you want. Don't, out of compassion, have intercourse with somebody you love, because that's not what I'm saying. What, what we're doing is we've, we've actually come into a, an orgy-type lustful, degenerative dead race 
really. And our actions are getting worse. And, and yes, if you look at things that, that were frowned upon in, in the 60s and the 70s, over those decades, people have become more desensitised and therefore the boundaries have been pushed and pushed and pushed because people now, you know, when, when I used to be eating my dinner in the 80s at the time of live aid and different things and used to have pictures of Ethiopians starving children come on the TV, it had an impact. But now it doesn't. People look at starving children in Ethiopia and, and it has no impact because we've become desensitised to it. And that is really the same in relation to the boundaries being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. So to such a point now that we just look at it, it's going in, but we become desensitised to it and we become acceptant of the way that it is because we've allowed it to be. Uh, and, and that's really how, how it works. You know, you do it bit by bit by bit by bit by bit and no one notices it. It's like that, you know, the, the, the story of the frog in the frying pan. You know, you, you put a frog in the frying pan and you just turn the heat up a bit by bit by bit and it doesn't even feel it getting warmer. And that's really what is happening in relation to the materialism of the satanic consciousness. But would you say it's fair to say that it has to get a lot worse before it gets better? I mean, it almost has to get to the what, what, whatever the end point of this is going to be. Everyone with VR helmets just pleasuring themselves for 20 yeah. hours a day. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, it, it's, you have to say how much worse can it get? When I walk through my, my local town, which is pretty much every day, the amount of people that I have to dodge, you know, I have to move out of the way of. It's almost like being the, the pilot of a, of a Lancaster bomber during the Dam Buster raid, and you're trying to avoid the German flak. The amount of people that I have to avoid just looking at their phones with no awareness whatsoever of what's around them. That's, that's just when I'm walking. You know, when I'm driving, I'm driving down the road, and I'm literally having people just walk into the middle of the road, not even look. And I'm thinking, you are completely switched off. Mm. It is the zombie apocalypse. That is where we are now. People have no awareness of anything at all mm. because their life, their focus is on this screen. So how much or how low, much lower can it get than that? Well, I think that's why I said the VR helmet because yeah. in a way, you just said it there. It's like how perfect is that for the people in control if all our focus is just on a tiny screen? But they would kind of want you in a almost meta world, which I'm guessing that, is what, what they're trying to push next. It's no, like to no. keep that focus smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and, and the more that focus gets smaller, it becomes very little scope of focus. And if you have such a very little scope of focus, you're not a problem to a, a controlling system. Mm. Because they've got you. I mean, they've already got people anyway. You know, anybody that looks outside of themselves for salvation are already lost. And if you look at how many people follow one of the mainstream religions or one of the religions... It's pretty much the whole of the population. So, so literally, the whole of the population are lost. You know, it's only the ones who can actually think and have rational thoughts and have critical thoughts that are getting towards that godlike state, because that's what God does. And in order to create, you think. So, you think from the dimensionless universe, and it manifests as a material universe. You think into creation, the word becomes flesh. So, unless you think, unless you have that rational thought and critical thought, you're just a zombie. You, you, you're lost. You're gone. We've, we've spoken about, so there's people that wrote the Bible that weaved in these codes for people at a later date when they're finally at the level to understand. But in terms yeah. of the people that have used the Bible and other holy books as a form of control, would they have used these stories because they know on some deep level that's going to connect to people? So they buy into the religions, but actually 
the big well the biggest lie that they're kind of feeding them is you have to look outside of yourself but the reason that people are actually on board is because there is this truth mixed in so so there there there, there is something divine about what they're they're teaching but it's it's been kind of polluted it is if you look at the likes of the eyes of mona lisa you look at a lot of da vinci's paintings the eyes are, are, are always sad and the reason the eyes are always sad is because he's, he's representing the sadness of the state of the world through what he saw and of course it is much worse now i think than it was then so the sadness of the eyes is a reflection of the state of the world so when you look at the enemy of the church, that the church deemed that the likes of science, the likes of astronomy, the likes of truth would be its enemy. And in deeming those things the enemy of the church, it then brought with it the charge of heresy. Now, the charge of heresy, as we saw in the likes of the Spanish Inquisition, meant the death of people speaking outside of the authorised scriptures. So it, it schismed into exoteric, which was what was acceptable to the authorities at the time, and esoteric, which was the true standpoint of those who were writing it. So you do have Gnosticism, which tells you that salvation is within and God is within. You have religion and the church that tells you that salvation is without and God is without. And the only way that you can have that salvation and have that connection to God is through the church. Mm. So they began to completely control everything. And they said, you know, well, you cannot interpret the scripture yourself you must go and ask the bishop what it means. And in making that an order, then you only ever get the official interpretation of the scriptures because they don't want people who think for themselves and work it out for themselves because they were heretics. Now, heresy just means to choose. So if you didn't choose the church, you were put to death. So the Gnostics were correct. And people's salvation is within them. You do have truth hidden within the stories. And... For those who dig and dig and dig and find the treasure, because the treasure is code for knowledge, the X that marks the spot, then if you put the, the effort in and the work in, you are deemed worthy of that knowledge. So if you imagine that you only want people who have put the groundwork in to know what you know, then you mix it with falsity, because you know very well that the people who are worthy to know will get to know because they will work it out. And it's like me, you know, the amount of hours of each day, the amount of days in each week, the amount of weeks in, in each month and month in each year that I sit there and I, I sit down and I work it out. And it takes a long, long time. Not, not so much now. I can kind of see things quite instantly. But in the past, you know, what used to take four or five hours now takes me four or five minutes. But to get to the stage where I can see things in four or five minutes, there's many hours and weeks and months of my life that have passed. But in 2010, I think it was, I kept seeing this golden key in the mind's eye. And the, the golden key, a key is basically represents the locking and the unlocking of everything. It is the concealment and the revelation. So for those who are not worthy to know, the key can lock, conceal. And for those who are worthy to know, it can unlock and become a revelation. It can reveal itself. And that is what the golden key was that I kept seeing in my mind's eye. It is basically you are worthy to be in receipt of this sacred knowledge. So you do mix it up because you know very well that the people who just believe the stories and read the Bible as a book from left to right do not stand a chance of understanding what it means. They think they do and they're told that they do and they are told that they have found the truth but they're a million miles away from it. 
if I walk in my town now and pass someone a Bible, I guarantee every one of them will open the book and read it as a book from left to right. Well, straight away, that's not how you do it. You don't read it as a book, but you look at it from right to left. So Genesis, which we believe is the beginning, is actually the end. But the end and the beginning, in a circle, Sirs, church, the cyclic nature of the universe, the cyclic nature of God, the beginning and the end is the same place. Kind of reminds me of uh, how people read in Japan, because they obviously read from the opposite way. Because you have a spiritual centre, which is your heart. And the way in which we are, we are taught to read and write takes us away from our spiritual centre. Because we go from left to right, it takes us away. Whereas like the Jewish mystics or the Egyptians or the likes of Leonardo da Vinci and, and people like that read and write from right to left because you're just bringing them back towards mm. their spiritual centre. So we are doing it the opposite way. So you do not read the holy writs of these people by doing it the opposite of how it was intended. But that's one of the secrets. You know, right, yeah. when, when you look at the five books of the Torah, the five books of Moses, he goes from Genesis to Deuteronomy. But they do it from Deuteronomy to Genesis from right to left. Is, is this why you think da Vinci uses a lot of mirrors and things in when you're de decoding his paintings? Is it also pointing yes. towards that? Yeah, because da, da Vinci used to write in reverse alphabet. And what I mean by that, for, for an example, if you look at the figure X in reverse alphabet, it relates to number three. So XX relates to 33, which is the resurrection code. So if I do the reverse alphabet, Z becomes one, Y becomes two, X becomes three, et cetera, et cetera. So if I write XX, then for those who know that code, know that I'm relating to the number 33, which again is quite a significant number when you're looking into the mystical world. So they're doing it in reverse. And by doing it in reverse, the numerical value of the letters are changed and the energy of the words and the letters are changed and the meanings are changed. So they, they have this cipher, this code, where they reverse everything. And a lot of Leonardo's paintings, if you put a mirror against them, you will see the true meanings. Isn't 33 the age where Christ was supposed to have supposedly, died? Supposedly. You have, I mean, again, 33. When you have two X's, within the, within the two X's, you have the diamond shape. Now, the diamond is, is, is important because it's, it's the refraction of light. And in order for us to see, light is refracted in the eye. So what it is saying is that the eye is to see. The eyes to see this secret knowledge is represented by the diamond, which is contained within the two X's. So 33, of course, you have 33 vertebrae of the spine, which is Jacob's ladder. You have 33 degrees of masonry. You have 33, which is the age that Christ supposedly died, which is the 33rd vertebrae, which is by the tomb inside Golgotha. You, you have the 33rd parallel, which is where a lot of famous things happen, like the crash at Roswell, that happened on the 33rd parallel. A lot of the significant buildings of the world are on the 33rd parallel. So there's so much in relation to this number. You know, when, when you start looking at the number three, it is the thesis, the antithesis and the synthesis, the triangle, the union of the two. The X is also the number three because it is the union of two things. So there's a lot of mystical significance within relation to three and 33 and the X's and different things. So you don't think Twitter changing its name to X under Elon Musk is any coincidence then? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. It's deliberate. You know, I mean, all, all of these things. When, when you look at Yazoo, Yazoo is Yahweh, Yahoo. And what is Yahweh? Y-H-W-H, to inhale, to exhale, to give and receive the breath of God. 
What is Enlil of the Anunnaki story? The breath of God. What does the word Jesus mean? The breath of God. So that is just in Yahweh. You have Google, which has significant meaning. You have Mozilla Firefox. Well, Mozilla means the beast reborn. Fire, well, fire's illumination. And the fox relates to 666. Because in English, Demetria, you know, F is the sixth letter. O, I think, is the 15th letter. So 1 plus 5 is 6. And X is the 24th letter. 2 plus 4 is 6. So the word fox is 666. Mm. So Mozilla Firefox is not what you think. But 666 is not what you think either. It is not a negative number. If I was to say to somebody 666, they would say, oh, the devil. It's not. It's a positive number. Because in the likes of Pythagoras, who was one of the, the initial grandmasters of illumination, he had a secret number for the sun, which was 36. Because the sun spends three months in each of the 12 signs. Three times 12 is 36. Now, if you add up all the numbers from 1 to 36, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, it equals 666. So 666 is actually a secret number for the followers of light. It's nothing to do with the devil, but you have lots and lots of truth groups that run with this falsity that they believe is fact. So 666 is not a bad number. And that is connecting air to ether. That is connecting the air that we breathe to the soul of God, the air of the heavens. That is what that means as a hand symbol. 666 is not a negative number. We have turned it into one by misunderstanding what it means. But isn't it true that Satanists, they invert everything. So they obviously <clears throat> have the crucifix upside down as a symbol and that they, they're, yeah. they're always twisting and manipulating things. Are they not just taking 666 and just, again, taking a number, which is good, but making it evil? They have to change it. Well, they have to alter it to alter the, the energies. Now, for, for argument's sake, a black magician cannot use the tools of the white magician. So what the black magician has to do, he has to corrupt the tools of the white magician. And that really, a lot of the time, is inverting and changing the energies. But when you, you, know, you get 666, if you turn it the other way, it becomes 999, which is really becoming the conqueror, the master of self. And all you're doing is inverting it into the world of sex, the ninth sphere, the inverted cross, the St. Peter upside down, the shadow tree of the Kabbalah. That is that. So you are changing the dynamics of what is already in existence by corrupting and twisting what there is. But again, the original meaning of these things are not what truth groups and other people believe them to be. They so are, it is, is 999, is that not the code on a phone just because the nine is, you know, back when phones used to, you, you used to physically have to do it with your finger, that was the closest one. Is there more, more to it than that? There's always more to it. If, if you look at the colours associated with the emergency services, you know, you have fire, which is red. You have the colour of healing, which is green, which is what paramedics wear, green. You have the blue light of the police. Blue is the colour of protection, which is what the police do. So there's always a deeper spiritual significance in what is going on in society. Even the, even the uniforms have all of these mystical meanings and energetic meanings and, and, and everything else. So there is always a deeper meaning to everything in which we do. And it is encrypted into the language of the world. Mm. So that it's there. It is there for all to see. Most people are missing it. Well, I did see something the other day, actually, on the subject, because obviously in America, when they dial the emergency services, it's 911. 
I think originally it either was 999 and they changed it or that was proposed, but they went with 991, sorry, 911. Now, obviously, that's a very significant number in America because of what happened on 911, which I'm guessing was the reason that they probably changed it. But could we just talk about that number a little bit more? Because we touched on it earlier being Christ's real birthday. But what is it about that number or that date that's so significant? Every particular number has a particular energy. So for argument's sake, the number one. If you put another one next to number one, it becomes the number 11. But 11 is the master number of one. Now, one relates to unity, the original singularity. So 11 would be pretty much the father and the son, because the father is a higher level of the son. They are the same thing, but they're in different dimensions. The same as number 11 is one on earth, and the second one is one in heaven. So it's basically a master number of one becomes 11. So again, when you look at the Mount Lisa behind me, and how Lisa is held in her hands, it is the Polaris diagram, which gives you the right hand represents number six, and the left hand represents number five. Six and five is 11. So again, we are talking about a master number. And when you when you uh, times 11 by three, again, you get 33. So what we're having is one and 11, which is the, the earth and the heaven as a master number. And that has significant relationship to a master number power. Number nine is really a number of completion. So in an esoteric way, 911 is relating to the completion of the godlike state and the reunion to the heavenly, thou father who art in heaven. Everything they do, even if you look at the twin towers, they are the shape of the number 11. Mm. If you look at the times, if you look at the biblical significance of the times and where Saturn is and, and everything else in relation to Gemini, the twins, the twin towers, as Saturn comes into the eighth house, which is the house of death, it is all a biblical scene of numbers. So these things happen at a particular time on a particular date because they believe in their system of belief that certain dates give them the enhancement of certain energies and certain powers. So 9-11 really combined relates to the evolution of the godlike state of man and the completion of man in order to return to the heavens. So the people that have that, that are hoarding this secret knowledge and the, the forces that are behind things like 9-11 happening they would believe that by doing these symbolic things on these particular dates, that it would, when you say like enhance the power of it, like what do you mean exactly? It, it would have a greater effect how? Because every sound has a shape and every shape has a sound. So when you look at geometric shapes, it is audible mathematics that has become as close to still as it can be. So as the Greeks called geometry, frozen music. So if you imagine these, these sounds, the words of God, come in and when they become pretty still they form these beautiful geometric shapes and when they speed up again they become the vibration of the universal order through numbers each number each shape will have a particular power a particular consequence with it so for argument's sake if I, again going back to the number 11 if i give you the number one there will be a vibration of number one if i then give you another one to put next to it becomes 11 which becomes far more powerful so you've almost got double the amount of energy the double amount of power by enhancing the number so everything is a frequency everything is a vibration and certain letters certain words certain numbers certain shapes will have a more significant vibration 
for a particular cause. So if I want a particular energy, then I choose a particular time and I choose a particular date. You know, for argument's sake, if I go to the Great Pyramid and I go to the top and I face south and I say a certain word, a certain frequency at a certain time, and that time has to be seven or a number divisible by seven because it gives a certain energy. And they know the different times, the different dates, the different shapes and what energy that gives them. And if they choose particular ones for a particular moment, they know that the power in which to use for whatever reason, for whatever intent, is directly enhanced at that particular time using those particular numbers or using that particular shape. It reminds me, actually, there's this really eerie bit of footage from the day of 9-11 where George Bush was in a classroom with some kids of all places that he would have or could have been. Have you seen this clip where the children have been given words to spell? Yeah. And it's like plain and they're going and, and she's going, get ready, get ready. The teacher and the kids are going P-L-A-N-E or whatever. Good. Right. Next word. Get ready. And she spells out the word still. I mean, of course, you had the, the steel beams that were supposedly melted by the air fuel, which is impossible. But she was basically spelling out, you know, plain hit still. And the kids were it almost felt like um, like they were casting, like like it was spell casting. Do you think there was like significance in that? Of course, because we, we spell words, and what she was doing was spelling the word. By saying P-L-A-N-E, she is spelling the word. She's creating a spell. So it was all staged. They, they knew he was coming. Bush himself had the book upside down that he was allegedly reading. He was there, he was waiting, you can tell he was he's, he's pensive, he's waiting for some news. Somebody comes to his ear and says his own story, you know, someone told him about the terror attack on, on the Twin Towers. They knew it was coming and they were preparing for it, but they use words as spells and their world is a world of magic. It is imitative magic, they imitate. So everything that was going on was a spell. And they use certain shapes in which to invoke and evoke deities from other places to assist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, too, too, right? That they were creating spells and creating the scene and creating the energy and using the innocence of the children in which to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they were, they were creating it. Then that's obviously broadcast on TV, which is called What's broadcasting. It? Yeah. It's like casting a very broad spell over yeah. everyone. You cast a net to catch fish. Yeah, it really yeah. does make make you think. I mean, during COVID, I mean, I guess it's still going on in a sense, but, you know, the, the, the first few years that that was happening, it was something I noticed on the news continually, not that I was sitting there glued to it, but they kept on repeating these things over and over again, like a mantra, yeah. hands, face, space. And when you're washing your hands, sing the sing this song. And, you know, it, it felt like they were casting spells the whole time, repeating things again and again and again. They are obviously blissfully unaware of what they're, they're doing, but the, the forces behind even yeah. the mainstream media must be aware of this. They're absolutely aware of it. I mean, what these people are when you have the newscasters and when you have, you know, the doctors and nurses saying certain things and you have the politicians saying certain things and the chief scientists saying certain things. Newscasters. Newscasters. You know, you are you are basically what they are known as useful idiots because in order to have that platform, you know, you need to take over the networks and you need studios to read the script, the scripture, the script. And the more that you say it, it becomes automatic, it becomes automatic, it becomes a routine, it goes deep into the psychology. 
And a lot of what was going on with, with the COVID was really social disapproval, psychological techniques. And we were, they were getting people to police people and report your neighbour for not wearing a mask and, and having two people in their house. And it's basically social disapproval techniques and psychology. Now, in order to get into the mind, they say repeated things and certain words and, and different because they know very well that that's how the mind works. That's how it goes in. That's how they can shove the washing in the machine for it to spin. That's all they're doing. It's, it's, it's a psychological warfare. It's a psychological attack. And they're using useful innocence in mm. which to spread this message. And that's exactly what was going on. Yeah. Right. Something I wanted to talk to you about, because it's become like quite popular in conspiracy circles, and it, it does involve the Bible in a sense. And that's the idea of the firmament. I can never say it, the firmament. Am I saying it right? Firmament. Yes. The idea that there is something around the earth that we can't penetrate. And and it's sort of the, the model, let's say, that is given to us in the Bible when they talk about the planet. They don't talk about our earth being a round ball floating in space. What, what do you make of this whole idea? Right. Going back to the divide between the dimensional and the dimensionless, which is basically, in essence, two universes self-contained in simultaneous existence. Light can access both, physicality can't. So there is a kind of divide between where we can go. And that is one of the reasons that the likes of the Egyptians and, and those who use Stonehenge would induce the soul out of their body, which is pure light. And in doing so, throw them say sarcophagus, which means flesh eater, but, but sarcophagus, they would induce the soul out of the body that soul would go up the shafts of the pyramid like the Battle of the Gun, and it would be catapulted into certain regions, certain star systems. But because the soul is light, it was able to penetrate these places. Had the soul been in the physical body, it would not have been able to. So the ferment is really, the, the, the divide is, is the dimension less than the dimensional, which really gives us access issues in terms of whole current state. In terms of when you look at the shape, which is called the monad, which is like a circle with a dot in the middle, if I get a stone and I walk up to a piece of water, a river, a sea or whatever, and I drop that stone, the stone hits the bottom of the river. It goes as far as it possibly can, the lowest possible point. But that lowest possible point is the state of stability and equilibrium. Now, in universal terms, in, in regions of space, that lowest possible point of equilibrium are the planets and the suns. So the monad represents the point in the middle of the, of the spherical planets and earth is a sphere not a flat when you look at the sphere all the forces of the universe converge at the lowest possible point of that region which is the center of the spherical body so the monad the dot in the middle represents all the forces of, of the universe converging in the central place which is basically the, the bed of the sea the bottom part so that is one reason why the earth is a sphere secondly i know it is because i've looked down at earth and it is a sphere so when you look at creation itself, Earth cannot be flat in a three-dimensional setting. And yes, there are good arguments either or, but whether or not I'm standing on a flat, a tray, a plate, a cup, a saucer, it doesn't matter on the grand scale of things. All, all we're doing is the analogy you used about very, very small focus points of looking at these iPads. What you are doing by discussing these things and, and putting all your focus into these little things, you are just concentrating on irrelevance and missing the bigger picture. And again, that is a tactic that is being used. So forget about flat earth, forget about spherical earth, start getting yourself into a place of expansion. 
mm. and stop arguing over irrelevant things because that's just going to keep you pinned down to one place. So that is what it is describing. It is describing the horus, you know, the divide between the dimensional and the dimensionless, which the physical cannot pass through. Mm. Well, I, I think a lot of people's suspicions come from not only the lies that NASA has told, but in these secrets revolving around Antarctica, which I have some big question marks there myself. I mean, I, God knows what it is that they're hiding exactly in Antarctica. I mean, it's not exactly what you write books on, but do you, do you have any ideas about that yourself? Because there's definitely something there, isn't there? When, when I have seen or had access to hidden writings within the Great Pyramid, and it is a writing that is not of Earth, but it has been translated because it is fairly close to a lot of ancient languages, so that they were able to translate. And there is one such piece, which is in, in my new book, incidentally, which, which was found in one of the secret rooms of the Great Pyramid. And it describes the access points into inner Earth, where it describes that there is a civilization living in inner Earth. And one of those access points is as described. There are others, and this piece you know, begins to speak of different access points into the Earth, into this dimension and different things. But in essence, that is what it's describing, that is what it's been hidden. According to this extraterrestrial writing inside the Great Pyramid, there is a civilization living in inner Earth. In another dimension or in our dimension? Good question, because when we look at the planets of the solar system, all we see really what seems, it looks like a graveyard, it looks dead, it looks like there's yeah. nothing there, there's no life. If I look at the moon, if I look at Mars, according to NASA pictures, that is nothing. But what you are seeing is an inhabited planet, but you are kind of seeing the exoskeleton of what once was. The, the occupants of that particular planet have moved on to a different frequency, so they're still living there, but in a different dimension, a different frequency. There are many civilizations of Earth that are, are just seemingly just disappeared because they have changed the frequency in which they exist so to us we can't see them but they are still there so I, I i would think in relation to your question it would be a bit of both because there's, there's definitely mention of underground cities and underground civilizations but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest as if there are multiple levels of existence just as they are in this reality you know in, in any any given moment where you're sitting and where i'm sitting and where everybody is watching this is sitting there is multiple existences all around them that they can't see. And that will be the same anywhere. Moon, Mars, Pluto. They, we, are, we are looking at a former planet. It's basically moved on. And we are basically just seeing the end result of the skeleton of what once was. Mm. I wonder if when, say, these inhabitants on other planets are looking at Earth, maybe they're seeing a deserted grey planet. Well, again, it depends upon in what dimension you are looking at the Earth. And if you, if you are looking at it from a different dimension, it would appear different. You know, if we look at, for argument's sake, if we look at the monuments and monoliths of the world, in our timeline, in our dimension, they appear to be static objects. But if you look at them from a different timeline, from a different dimension, they move. Mm. So they are not static objects. So it really depends on your perspective and what vibration you are looking at it from. So just, just to finish and to bring things back to the Bible, which is how we started this conversation today, if someone wanted to pick up a Bible today, other than maybe reading it from back to front, 
what would you suggest them to to take from it? And obviously there is a lot of wisdom and truth, especially in the teachings of Jesus, I feel like. And like a lot of the things that we've been speaking about, ancient code or not, Jesus preaches that we shouldn't give in to sin and we shouldn't practice these, you know, lustful, sinful endeavors. Materialism is wrong. So a lot of this stuff is is in the Bible anyway. So there's a lot of good that people can take from it. But w- yeah. what what should they maybe be wary of and what should they take on board? I think, f- firstly, the positives. Jesus is a personification of the knowledge of illumination. So when Jesus is saying something or Jesus is doing something, it is talking about our own spiritual potential. You know, Christ was given to us as the perfect example of what you can be. Mm. If you become the Christified or if you're an Egyptian, the acidified being. So you are looking at what it is to be the perfect man, the completed man, which is Christ. So you are given an example. So that is a positive. One of the negatives, of course, of of some of the sayings of Jesus is that the Jews will be saved or Israel will be saved. Well, that's not true because if that was the case, then Gentiles and anybody who's not a Christian, a Christian or a Gentile or somebody who's not Jewish or doesn't live in Israel, pretty screwed because you're not going to be saved anyway and then it, it said that christ said you know don't give uh, pearls to swine or don't give what is holy to, to dogs in other words he's saying don't give secret information to the people who are not worthy of receiving it so that is kind of a negative within the positive what i would say is if people are going to look at the bible look at it with a as a complete blank canvas as in you look at it and know these stories have meaning beyond the words and the stories are not historical fact they are not actual events but they are hiding a deeper spiritual message and if you open yourself up and go into with that kind of open heart and that open mind then a lot of these things will just naturally be absorbed it is only when you close that openness down and you look at it with preconceived ideas that have been given to you that you will only ever see the superficial what they claim to be historical fact, which is not historical fact. It didn't happen. But it is happening inside you. It is anatomical process. It is astronomical process. It can enlighten the wise and imprison the fool. So be the wise and see it for what it is, which is a book of illumination and a book of genius. If you understand that what you are reading is really hiding something between the lines. you enjoyed that episode of the schism we've got plenty more episodes on the way in the meantime follow us on our instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies